Hi, my name's Mark Kelly, and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. You join us as we're journeying through the Gospel of Matthew and trying to understand what it really means to live in the Kingdom of God. For more information, other resources and media, please visit our website, citychurchleads.net. Search for us on Facebook or catch us on Twitter at cc underscore leads. We look forward to connecting with you. Hello. I love these, these banners. They're, 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 they're everything, aren't they? I think that's, um, I do raw and honest is what I do. And uh, I like raw and honest. I, I, there is one statement on there that I do struggle with, and that's the one that says, we do loud. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just not really me. But uh, I, I tried my best this morning. Okay. Um, the challenge of arriving in a church and uh, sharing a message in the middle of a series is that you don't have the advantage of having uh, heard the previous people speaking. So I'm probably going to repeat everything Sarah said last, last week, and, uh, you know, which would probably mean that you probably needed to hear it twice. So uh, um, that, that's my excuse, and um, for the moment I'm going to stick to that. Uh, my title is Growth, the Subversive Secret of the Kingdom. The Kingdom of God is subversive. It's, it's countercultural. It's uh, against what's going on in society. And I, I, I rather like that. I'll say some more about that uh, in a second. Uh, so we're going to continue your studies in Matthew by, first of all, I'm going to read you a scripture from Isaiah 9. <laughs> because that's the way things should happen, isn't it? This is a scripture that... Uh, impacted me when I was here as a, as a boy. And um, the thing about belonging to City Church Leeds was that it was a formative experience for me, the foundation of which stays with me now. Uh, so much that I learned while I, in the 10 years that I was in this church is completely rooted in me, and I'm, I'm still passionate about it. So here's a scripture, Isaiah 9, verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And somehow, as a student in this church, I began to understand that the kingdom of God forever grows. And we are part of that kingdom. I began to understand the difference between being in a church and being in the kingdom. And that still motivates. And at the moment, I'm dreaming up new vision and new passion and new things for me to do with my life. And a kingdom approach to that is motivating me. I don't want to build an empire. I don't want to build Mike Rumer production company or whatever, I want to find fellow travelers who want to see the same sort of things, for God to do the same sort of things that I want to see and hook up with them. And and that is a lesson that I learned here uh, all those years ago, that that's how we do things, that's how we should do things, and I'm standing and challenging people who don't do it that way. So back in the day when I was first in this church, I was like, I don't know, 19, 20, Good morning to those of you who suffered the sharing of houses with me back in the day. And um, I was excited. I'd seen something. Uh, I'd grabbed hold of this idea that inevitably the kingdom of God would increase and grow and make an impact and lives would be changed. And they were. And they still are. We'd grabbed hold of that biblical truth uh, and um, wanted to grow the church in Leeds, but wanted some, something so much bigger than that. And it's still the same, isn't it? That's still the passion, still the driving force, still what we want to see happen. And, uh, you know, when I left here and I moved down to Birmingham, took all that stuff with me. And sometimes, uh, sometimes um, some of you remember Stephen Helen Watts, who lead that church. And um, sometimes, you know, we'll sit in Stephen Helen's lounge and we'll, and we'll think back to being here. And, and we'll remember things, lessons that we learned here and kind of go, those things are still true. You know, how can, how can we bring something of what we had there into here? Because we had it right. 
And um, it's impossible not to get caught up in the increase of his government and of peace. It's inevitable that we'll see the kingdom grow. And biblically, that is what the word says. But there is a challenge because sometimes what we see physically isn't what we believe spiritually. What do you do then? I can exp- I can, all I can say at the moment is that my life is filled with things that shouldn't be happening. Okay? Stuff that... <laughs> where you look at the, what Scripture says about how your life should be, and how do you marry that up when it's not happening? How do you marry up situations where you pray and you do the right thing and you pursue God and you're, you're, you're trying your best to be good in terms of what the Word teaches you how to, how to live? And you pray and nothing happens. What do you do with that? What do you do when that's on a personal level? I would imagine that everybody in the room at some point has gone through seasons of that where you know, what you believe and uh, what you see doesn't match up. And you can go through that as a church where you believe all this big vision and you do all the right things and you pray and you want to see God move and you want to see the church grow and you want to see the kingdom make an impact and for some strange reason, it doesn't happen. I was very challenged by what Stuart shared this morning. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of what the realities of what the word says are and refresh ourselves in those things and not give up. You know, I've got a, I won't bore you with detail, but I've got a list of things that are not right at the moment that I'm not giving up on, that I'm persevering with and believing that God will turn around. Okay? And that's, and that's all you can do. You, it's a thing called perseverance, isn't it? And, um, and that's what we do. And again, with the growth of the kingdom of God and the impact that we make as a body of people, we persevere. In Matthew 13, Jesus told his disciples a parable. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Uh, Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants, it becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. God loves small beginnings. You know, God, the word talks about us being faithful in small things. The disciples overturned the world and made a global impact from a very small beginning of just a few followers in an out-of-the-way place in the Roman Empire. Small means that you have to take a long view. And this is exactly what happened. The the smallest of seeds, one man in in first century Palestine, a bunch of supporters whose lives were totally changed by their encounter with Christ. And you you wouldn't have looked at them as though they were going to do anything. And yet here we are 2,000 years later. uh, Globally, people pursuing God. Lives changed even this morning as we speak. Lives in different, parts of the, in different parts of the world changed by the Spirit of God. Worship in all languages, all tribes and nations. This morning, today, being lifted up to God from a small beginning. I love the fact that the kingdom of God is subversive. Uh, it just appeal, it, It's always appealed to me. I have to confess... I've always been a bit of a rebel, and I haven't always done the things that are expected of me. Uh, I've had my own mind, my own vision, my own thoughts, and my own responses to things. And um, it hasn't always worked out well for me, (laughs) but I've kept true to my own convictions of what I wanted God to do. And I believe that partly that's because of the way that I was saved. For those of you who don't know, I got saved because I was a paper boy. I was minding my own business. I was wandering up and down the same streets every evening after school, delivering my newspapers. But what I didn't know was that there were a group of uh, four female students at Newcastle University. 
who lived next door to a house I delivered. So I used to go past, deliver the newspaper in the house next door. Now, I knew they were Jesus freaks because they had a Christian sticker on the window, but I wasn't interested. I had no thoughts about God, no upbringing in, in anything Christian at all in my entire experience. You know, God would have to prove that he existed or forget it, okay? And that's, that's who I was, and I was busy having a good time. I was partying, I was making a half-hearted effort at studying. I was halfway through my sixth form and about to fail my A-levels. And, um, but I was having a great time. And so what I didn't know, and some of, these, some of this information I've only found out in the last few years, what I didn't know was that those four students saw me walk past every day. And do you know what they did? They prayed for me. They didn't know my name, but they prayed for the paper boy. Lord, save the paper boy. Okay, And not only did they do that, but I later found out that they also got all their friends, their student friends, to pray for me. And they didn't know my name either, so they would just pray for the paper boy. Okay? And then the girls in the, in the house would occasionally bump into me outside the house as I walked past and, and smile at me and say hello and be nice. Okay? And they were girls who's not going to pay attention. So... Uh, this went on for a few weeks, okay? And then one day, I invited myself in for a cup of coffee. Now, this was unusual because at that time, I wasn't that confident to be able to do that with girls. And secondly, I didn't drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but I went in and I stayed for tea. And we talked about God. And I told them it was a load of rubbish. And they said, would you like some peas? And there was no... There was no arguments or anything but they were so lovely and there was something so different about these people it was God in them it was so attractive and so intriguing for me that uh, I went in on a Wednesday night and uh, for tea and said you're gonna have to prove to me scientifically that Jesus exists or forget it and I became a Christian on Sunday <laughs> <laughs> And it, I, I, I didn't stand a chance after all that praying and that niceness there's not much I could do and then um, one of the, that, that, made, that made me have that kind of approach to evangelism, to reaching out, to making an impact in that. I am always wondering what God might be doing around me. And I, and I really believe in praying for people who don't know Jesus yet and asking God what to do and making an impact in that way. When I first became a Christian, this is how I felt. I felt like the world was like a one-way street rushing past me and, you know, just coming straight towards me, straight past. And I turned around. I'd become a Christian. I turned around. And this is how I felt. I felt I was doing this, trying to stop people as they came past, slow them down a bit and, and communicate with them. And that's what I mean about the kingdom of God being subversive that we are actively trying to change the world around us uh, like no other people, excuse me. I've always been like that, still like that. The first thought that goes through my head when I meet somebody who's not a Christian is, I wonder how I can get this conversation around to Jesus. Okay? And if we believe the kingdom of God is forever growing and the influence of the kingdom is growing, then we have to have that rebellious uh, streakiness. We rebel against the world. I didn't know at the time, but becoming a Christian was the most, the absolute pinnacle of rebellion that I could commit against my parents. Okay, I didn't know, didn't understand it, but I, that was the most rebellious thing I could do. Now, recently, I found out. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of this. I just knew that my parents and my brothers didn't like it. And I thought that was fairly normal. But they attacked me systematically for maybe three, four, five years after I became a Christian. So when I was here, when I was a student, I would go home and my parents would have a go at me about my life choices, what I was doing. Mike, why are you in the DHSS? And why aren't you going and doing something much more exciting? 
than that, because my two brothers were very exciting. I, will, I, I am the dull person in my family. Uh, my, my, you know, my parents attacked me and never let up. Now, I recently went, I went and stayed with my uh, next brother up, Martin, and um, I have been semi-estranged from my family since I was in my early 20s because they were so horrible to me that I decided I just didn't want to go home and hang out with them anymore. So I'd go home at Christmas and, you know, maybe once a year and visit. Uh, but that's it. And uh, so there's been a little bit of recapturing of a relationship with my next brother. And he explained to me that, and I never knew this, but my parents were spitting mad that I'd become a Christian. My dad was shouty angry about it. Okay? And I never, I never, knew, I, I, I never knew for sure but I knew there was something up, and I, and I recently discovered that's what it was. My decision to become a Christian completely went against everything that they believed in terms of their worldview, their approach to life. And, and, I, and I wonder whether somehow underneath I kind of knew that, and that's what's kind of fed this rebellious streak inside me. That's my excuse for the moment, because that sounds quite honorable, doesn't it? So we'll say that for the moment. But sometimes to be pursuing the kingdom, we have to set ourselves up against the kingdom of the world. We have to set ourselves up diametrically opposed in the way that we approach things. So when it comes to the increase of the government of God and the increase of the influence of the kingdom and the increase of the church, there are loads of books on church growth that you can go and read and try. Uh, There were... There were lots of newfangled theories about how to do it and uh, what we should do. Lots of, lots of churches have found growth and then written a book about it and, and then suggested that if you do what they do, you'll grow. Now, most of us are now wise enough to know that that's a load of baloney uh, and that quite often lightning strikes in one place at one time with one church in one way, but that doesn't translate anywhere else. I always think of it like this. When the Israelites were taking the promised land, off they went. Joshua went into the promised land, comes across the city, it's fortified, says to God, what do we do to take this city? And I don't know, God will say, go and gather everybody around the back, make a lot of noise at the front. They're all going to run out the back, club room, your city. Okay, and then they would go to the next city. And it would be very easy to kind of go, well, we know how to do this, don't we? We set everybody up at the back, we make a loud noise at the front, they go out the back, we club room. But it didn't work. Each city, each place needs a unique strategy. And unfortunately, it's a, bit, it's, it's a bit kind of disappointing it's like that because it's so much harder than actually just doing the same thing everywhere, isn't it? But I believe we can learn something from what I'm about to read you in Matthew. This is uh, Matthew 13, verse 3. It's very, very familiar You'll have heard it a million times before. It's the parable of the sower. Let's just read it together. And Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't uh, have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then he explains the parable. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. We all know about sowing seeds, don't we? Uh, it's a 
a principle. I, I, I like another uh, metaphor. I like fishing uh, as much as sowing seeds. Uh, because the great thing about fishing, if you go fishing, now I don't go fishing, so okay, this is, just, this is, this is what my friends who go fishing tell me. But when you go fishing, you don't expect to catch every fish that swims past you. Okay? You just have to sow and sit and wait till you get a bite. Okay? Now, for me, that's much less hard work <laughs> than thinking you have to go, thinking you have to convert everybody and bring the messages of the kingdom to absolutely everybody. You sow and you fish. And you relax whilst you're doing it. There are certain places that I like fishing. Um, I quite like... You see, I, I have a problem, okay? There are, uh, and this is, this is a really terrible thing to confess, okay? But I will confess because it might be helpful to you. I do not have very many friends who aren't Christians. I work in a Christian organization, and so I just hang out with Christians all the time. I go on the radio and mainly talk to Christians. And um, when I used to work in a, in, you know, kind of, I, work, I worked in DHSS in Pudsey here, DWP. I was talking to Alan Rhodes last time he was here. I was, sorry, last time I was here. Uh, he came and talked to me and I, and, um, and I said, Alan, what are you up to these days? He said, oh, I'm working in the DWP. I said, oh, okay. I said, oh, I used to work there. He says, yeah, I know. I said, yeah. He says, yeah, I keep, I keep meeting people who know you. And I'm going, really? Now, I left the civil service in 1989. And great, great was the rejoicing therein. Um, but, so I'm thinking to myself, so I'm saying, Alan, how do I come up in conversation when I haven't worked in the, in the DWP since 1989? And he said, well... I keep having the same conversation. It goes like this. Uh, they find out I'm a Christian, and then they say, oh, I used to know a, a mad Christian once. <laughs> okay, and, 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 and it's me, okay? Now, I worked in, the, in Putsi in the DHSS for most of the 80s, thinking that I made absolutely no impact, okay? I left the job and moved down to Birmingham to start the church I'm in now. Thinking I didn't make any impact at all because not one single person became a Christian in all the time that I was there. Nothing. Uh, I, I might have brought somebody to church at some point. I have no recollection of it, so I probably would be safer erring on the side of I never managed to bring anybody to church from my workplace. And I felt like, like a bit of a spiritual failure there. That, you know, how come I didn't manage to make any impact? It really was quite upsetting. And yet here we are, I don't know, what was it, 25 years later? And it's kind of like, I was shocked. It's probably the best way of describing it. Now, we don't know the impact for the kingdom that we make on a day-to-day -day basis with people. We don't know. But the word promises of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That the kingdom of God is forever growing. And it might be that we don't see the fruit ourselves, but other people pick it up. And the impact that we make, you know, continues. And so that's why it's important that we fish and sow or whatever metaphor you want to, want to use. Because I certainly had conversations with people about God at work. I can remember the first time... Uh, my first job straight out of, out of university was as a temporary job working in the civil service as a messenger. So I'm a graduate, and my job is to collect people's post and send it out every day. Okay? That was my job. It was great. It was completely dumb. And, um, and I, I, I enjoyed being dumb and not having to work too hard. And, um, and so I would, I would volunteer to do things because I was so bored. So I, re, I reorganized their entire filing system because in their filing system, some drawers were jam-packed full of files and you couldn't fit another file in and other drawers were half empty. So I volunteered to re redistribute the files equally amongst drawers. And I, and I did it. For, it took me about four days 
And I remember for some reason, I don't know why, I had an earworm. I had Blueberry Hill by Fats Domino stuck in my head. So I, I did the entire filing going, ah, found my thrill, and just kind of singing away. And, um, and people used to laugh at me doing all of that. And then there was another thing that I used to do. I used to do the last post. I used to have to tell people when the, when the post was ready to go. So if anybody had any ur anything urgent, they could give it to me. And there was a big room, kind of like about half the size in this room, with full of staff, and I had to let everybody in the room know. So I used to go and stand next to where the, where the post box was. And I, whoop, <laughs> and I would stand there, and I would go, to signify that it was the last post, <laughs> like you do. And then and everybody thought this was very funny. And so one day I was collecting the last post from the big boss person who was in charge of it all, uh, who had an office, obviously, a flight or two flights up from this room. And I went in to collect a post. And she said, OK, well, I said, have you got any last posts? And she said, Could you, are you going to do it properly? <laughs> and she made me stand there and do the last post just for her. OK? Now, you'd think that would dissuade me from doing that again, wouldn't you, that I would stop doing that, but I didn't. Anyway, so... When I was getting ready to leave work one day, my colleagues said, so what are you doing tonight, Mike? And I said, I'm going to a meeting. They said, oh, what sort of meeting are you going to? I said, I'm going to a church meeting. And they all went, you're a Christian? And I went, yeah. And they said... But you're way too happy to be a Christian. <laughs> we don't know the kind of impact that we make in terms of what our lives say day by day. It's the drip, drip effect. So I never let any word to Jesus, but stuff was going on. And we need to remind ourselves of that. We need to stir ourselves up that God's kingdom is increasing, that people... He is calling people to himself, and we need to pay attention in terms of the conversations that we have and the things that we say and the life that we do. Now, the parable of the sower, lots of people talk about uh, why people become Christians and fall away or you know, why, they, why stuff happens in terms of the Word of God not taking root in people and people not continuing on the path. I want to... I want to switch that around today and give you some principles to help growth, meaning that we're countering bad soil, okay? Because we can be very fatalistic about sowing seed, okay? In that you sow the seed and, and people respond or people don't respond, and it's not really our problem. It's up to God, isn't it? And if we don't get a response, well, you know, it's... it's it's not us, it's them, okay? And to a degree, I agree, because I would, I would rather live that way and not take on the burden of getting absolutely everybody saved, and if they don't get saved, it's my fault. I mean, that's clearly not true. Everybody has free will. We've done evangelism in that way in the past. Many of you who are older will have gone door knocking because you've been guilt-tripped into you know, doing it. Do you remember those days? Okay, and it's, it's horrible, isn't it? Nobody wants to do guilt evangelism. What you want to do is you want to do fantastic, you want to see lives changed evangelism and get out there and get stuck in and enjoy it. I love telling people about Jesus. I love <clears throat> opportunities. I... Uh, I think that when you have that kind of approach, it's great. But I think that we can do more in terms of helping people overcome the bad soil or the bad situation that the seeds that we plant are planted in. Does that make sense? So, uh, the first thing here is that, you know, that they, they hear the message and they don't understand it. The seed of the kingdom gets snatched away. I became a Christian because those girls prayed and then they prayed and then they prayed and then they got some other people to pray and they kept praying and they kept talking to me. That's, that's why, uh, I believe, because they, they softened me up with prayer. And um, 
We need to be people who sow the seeds of the kingdom and we pray and we pray fervently. And, then, and we keep sowing the seeds of the kingdom and we pray. Now, even that still doesn't always work because everybody has free will. I can remember living, in fact, me and John lived with a guy uh, who, for some reason, decided he would fast until his mate at university would become a Christian. Okay? This is what we used to do when we were younger, isn't it? <laughs> do you remember that? Uh, he had to break his fast eventually because he would have probably died. But, um, and so out of our fervor and our desire for people to become Christians, you know, we can, we can get caught up in doing some very mad things. But the principle of praying and asking God about timings my favorite thing to do is to, is to share the gospel with people and pray and ask God what to do next. What do you want me to do next? Or if you make a friend and you want to, it, it, you, we need to realize that it's all a process. How do I get my friend from here where he doesn't know anything about God and doesn't know anything about becoming a Christian to over here where he can follow God? And so we need to overcome the 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 whole thing with where the seed doesn't take root by helping the seed to take root in people by loving them and taking them forward and explaining how it works, demonstrating they can see in our lives how it works, that we're not perfect, that, that we do that, you know, that we say sorry and we make mistakes and, and whatever else. We need to have a, a realistic approach. But we can do a lot of work in turning shallow soil into productive soil. So we need to pray, we need to listen to God's timing, so we need to be obedient. So the, the girls who led me to the Lord prayed and would come out and talk to me, and in the right time it all happened. Then there are, you know, the seed that falls on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy because they have no root. It doesn't stick. Okay? And I mean, this is similar, isn't it? That we help those who become Christians to get their roots down. Basically, we pray and we pray and we pray and we encourage and we disciple people right from the word go. It's really, really brilliant leading people to Jesus. It's really, really exciting. There's that moment when it happens and you're with them and you're praying and you can see the light bulb come off. It's really great. And, and I quite like being a midwife. I think that's that, that process of the, of the spiritual thing, uh, I, like, I, I like that. I like, I like getting people ready for birth, and I like delivering them, and, uh, and praying with them, and helping them, and giving them, giving them I don't know, some, something to read, going, this will explain what's happened to you. But I'm not, I'm not very good at changing nappies, and, and getting up at four o'clock in the morning and doing the feeds, and all of that kind of stuff is not really me. And, and I've had to learn for it to be me. Because when we have a responsibility, the increase of the government and increase of peace and increase of the kingdom of God happens, but we have to get our hands dirty and we, have to, we are the, the agents of that happening. And so we have to learn that if we don't want our seed to be on rocky ground and just disappear again, we have to help help new Christians get their roots down and keep on believing in them, keep on helping them, and keep on discipling them through some very tricky situations sometimes. And that's how you help them to get into good, solid, fruitful soil. The thorns. The thorns can choke a life at any time. We think of it as, you know, somebody becomes a Christian and then the, the cares of the world come up and steal them away. But the cares of the world can come up and steal away your faith and your walk with God at any stage in your life. It's not just something that happens in youth or in you know, young times when you're first a Christian. And if you just think about it, those of you who've been a Christian a few years, think about all the people that you know or you knew that no longer walk with God. And it's surprising. 
Some of the people who, are, who were the most passionate in their 20s are gone. And, and it's, it breaks my heart. And I, and I bump into people sometimes. And I, I, I'm still, the, the glories of Facebook means that you can stay in touch with people now or rediscover people. And, uh, and I've tried and I've you know, tried to reach out to people who've fallen away. And uh, those thorns, those cares of the world can strangle us. And uh, I said earlier on about some of the challenges and stuff that I'm facing right now and the things that, I, that I'm praying for, that I'm, I'm not getting any answers. And, and any one of those things as an individual issue or problem would be a challenge, but wouldn't be insurmountable and wouldn't really knock me off balance. But put a combination of six or seven of those things simultaneously, and I can feel the weeds choking me. And you've got to, you've got to go for it. We have got to dig up the, the thorns and issues as soon as, that, as soon as they pop up and um, do some serious gardening. And um, it's a struggle to stay fruitful. And you have to determine to do that. And we have to be involved with each other and care for each other and encourage each other in the whole process of that. Where you see people struggling... It's very easy because life is so busy now, isn't it? It's very easy to get into a situation where we're so busy with our own life that we don't have the time or the energy or the whatever we need to help each other. And we, you know, in terms of the kingdom growing, we have got to stir ourselves up to step out and help each other. It might be that, you know, somebody needs money, you've got money. They might need some time away to... You know, a couple with children might need some time away to, to have just, you know, have a bit of peace and just the two of them and, you know, look after their children. It might be, well, it could be anything, couldn't it? Anything, any pressure in life that comes up and creates thorns that strangle us. And so really we've, the whole way in which the, the kingdom grows is because we are, together working together encouraging each other helping each other provoking love and good deeds amongst each other and doing all those kinds of things not separating ourselves off and just seeing what we can do that will help somebody else so we have to help each other cultivate good soil we need to be involved with each other we need to love and we need to cultivate a proactive kingdom life. It costs. But if we team up with each other in, in doing that, then, you know, the world isolates people. The kingdom draws people together. And we, and we need to make sure we're not being isolated. Okay. Nearly done. This excites me because what happens is God is at work in everybody and all around us. Every situation you find yourself in, the parable of the sower is about the message of the kingdom and the kingdom is everywhere that we are. So wherever we're going, whatever we're doing, there is God. We need a fresh sense of excitement that God is all around us, out and about and around us. Here's a challenge for you. Every morning, every day, every morning when you, when you leave the house, okay, when you lock the door of the house, short prayer. Father, today, lead me where you want me to go. Father, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to pay attention. Please, will you help me to identify where you are working in the people around me? I started praying, God, you know, last night, who's been crying out to you? Right across the city of Leeds, people are crying out to God, are in trouble, have got problems, are praying. Okay. And I've started praying, God, will you please stand me next to these people in a queue? When I go and get a sandwich, stand me next to them. I promise, Lord, I will smile at them. <laughs> And try and engage them in conversation. Even if I just smile and say, you're having a good day. Okay? 
and then just wait and see what God might do. I love Starbucks. Me too. <laughs> I'm only here because I had a conversation in Starbucks. This is where this plot to invite me to come and speak was hatched. I like Starbucks because uh, there's a whole variety of people going there. And, uh, and I've trained myself to talk to people in Starbucks. And what I do is I tend to sit somewhere, like, the, like in the Starbucks where I've got, there's a sofa, and then there's another sofa opposite, and I sit in the one sofa, and I leave the other sofa invitingly open. I always make sure that there's enough space for them to put a coffee on the table. It's, all, it's, all, it's like a little welcome mat. And then, I pr- and then I pray, and I say, okay, God. And then I wait. And then when, inevitably, somebody will come up and go, oh, is this seat taken? And you go, no, help yourself, come and sit down. Now, and if you engage in conversation right at that moment, you're in. If you don't, you've blown it. I've learned this. Because you can never restart a conversation after that. But if you go, are you having a nice day? Or what are you up to today? Or something. It's very, very simple. You just get into a conversation. And it, that conversation might go somewhere. If God lets it go somewhere, it might not. But if you're willing and open and ready to, to do it, then it's, it's very, very simple. There might be, it doesn't have to be a Starbucks. Other coffee shops are available, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it, it could be anywhere. Any situation where people gather or where you bump into people. You know, even just standing in a queue for a sandwich, are you having a good day? You know, and and people might think you're a bit weird because we're not used to being engaged by total strangers in this society. But I think it's isn't that great though? Shouldn't we be like that? I noticed that because Pete and Pat live in a really really posh street. As I was getting into the car outside their house this morning, the next door neighbour walked past and said good morning to me. I thought that was very refreshing. <laughs> so we have to. Steer ourselves up and do it, basically. And um, in my own Starbucks, I, I make a point of really talking to the baristas. And they have a, a, a bit of a turnover. I, I make for every new barista, I train them as to what my name is, what their name is. I discover what I like to drink, how I like it, like it made. And now they're, they're, they're perfectly well organized now. I go in, they just go, your usual, and I get a uh, sugar-free vanilla latte and a blue bee muffin. It's very good. And um, it, it just makes life much easier. And, we, and I have a laugh and we talk. And the other day, um, I bumped into one of them uh, outside Asda. She was standing having a fag outside Asda, and I got chatting to her. And, um, and it came, I, I was going, again, I was going to a church meeting, and I'm, she said, what are you doing tonight? I'm going to a church meeting. Oh, you go to church? And I said, yeah. And I, and I just said... So, yeah, you ever been to church? And she said, yeah, I used to go with my grandma when I was like, I stopped going when I was about eight or ten years old. And I just said, would you like to come and visit my church? And she said, yeah, I would. And so she's going to come to my, it's not very difficult, is it? So, you know, all it's, it, you have to have some sort of relationship. And I've been, I have been talking and praying for her in the same way that the people who led me to Jesus prayed for me. I've been talking to her and praying for her. And being nice and making her laugh and, and caring about how she is, whether she's having a good day or a bad day, for maybe three months now prior to that conversation. But it's possible. It's, 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 we're, we're all not very far from everybody being able to do that. It only takes a couple of steps. And it takes that prayer as you leave the house, lead me to into conversations today. And that's how the kingdom of God increases step by step. It's not easy. And, it's, and it starts, like I said, from the very smallest of beginnings. Jesus and a few disciples deciding, getting so passionate that they will talk about the things of the kingdom. Jesus taught them about the kingdom. They taught other people about the kingdom. And it became a snowball. And if you look around this church... We're only a small congregation in here this morning, but that does not mean that as individuals and collectively, you can't make an impact. Now, I know already 
you know, from the last time I came here, I got roped into, into feeding burgers to students or whatever, you know. And, uh, and so I know already that you are doing some of this stuff. You know, I know that John Barge got shouted at when he tried to give a cup of soup to somebody. <laughs> you know, I've heard that, I heard that, that happened to you recently. The guy didn't want to be helped. <laughs> and so, keep doing it. Keep working for the increase of the kingdom. Keep on sowing out with what you've got. But do it more. Yeah. And cultivate a a passion for it. Have fun doing it. It says fun on there. We have fun. And telling people about Jesus, sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, can be fun. If you do it in a fun kind of way. And, you know, I I, I love telling people about Jesus. Always have. Always will. And And it's it's what's one of the things that gives me the greatest pleasure getting finding myself in a conversation about it. Embarrasses the heck out of Pippa, my wife, and you know, because because she finds me in a bar on holiday trying to tell somebody about Jesus, and she's like, "What are you doing? You're on holiday, you know." But I can't help it. And then, so let me pray for you in a sec, and remind you that everything starts small and grows. Even your own desire to share and talk, let it build up inside you so that it becomes second nature and you make an impact. Because very, very soon, I can remember when this church used to meet in Paxton Hall in Kirkstall. Do you remember that? There'd be, Mel Fish would be in the congregation with a guitar playing it along with whoever was leading worship. I can remember a bunch of students going along and, and beginning to, to get into all this stuff, to understand it. And I can remember this bloke coming along one day who'd, who'd just become a Christian. And like every week, he would, he, God would be speaking to him. He was just freshly saved. And every week, that he would have some little revelation of you know, like a picture or something that, that he'd... Got and every week he would get up and he would, and he would testify. Okay, and he was very confident and would would do it all because uh, he was just newly saved and he was alive. And I don't know whether Mike Ayers knows the effect that he had on people doing that, but but he did. Okay, it kind of it kind of galvanised people. And there's nothing like a bit of new birth, a bit of raw and ready and fresh and enthusiastic Christians who've had their lives turned upside down it, it, it inspires you know and, it'll, and it will only take you Absolutely. two or three people like that to come into this church and, and, and kind of inspire you that wow this is what it's like this is what happens when people become Christians to, to motivate and, and encourage you and I'm going to pray that in a second uh, because we all need refreshing, don't we, in the, in the basic principles. I know that I've not brought anything revelatory and new and fresh because I don't think there is much that's new under the sun when it comes to this stuff. It's just about remembering and, and rediscovering the, the realities of the kingdom of God. So can I pray for you? Okay. Father God, Father, thank you that uh, you take us back to our roots sometimes and you take us back to the fundamentals and back to what's real. And Father, I just want to pray for this church. Father, thank you for the massive impact that they've had over the years. Father, thank you for the impact of individual lives on other lives. And thank you for the impact of the church here. Lord, on just collectively working together. Father, thank you for the principles of the kingdom that are understood here. And Father, thank you that your gospel changes lives. That your gospel is subversive. It turns people round 
from the way they were going to a fresh life, fresh places. So Father, I want to pray for each person right here, right now, that you will help them to grab hold afresh and get new vision for the communication of the gospel, for, the, for a new passion for, for having those conversations, a new prompting, a new prompting from your Holy Spirit uh, where opportunities present themselves. God, sometimes we're a bit dim and we miss opportunities. Father, forgive us for that. Help us to be more sensitive to you so that we, we realize when an opportunity is there and we wake us up, God, to communicate. Father, help this bunch of people to work together in creating good soil for each other, encouraging those who are being choked and strangled by circumstances. Father, help us to help each other to dig down deeper and deeper roots into you. And Father, where we meet people who need to know you, God, will you give us divine strategy to reach out? Father, for each individual, you have got an individual plan for their lives in an individual way in which they're going to come to the foot of the cross and come to know you. And God, I pray you would help us to be sensitive to that, that with each, each person that we can think of right now, in fact, let's do that. Will you just think of somebody that you know that's not yet a Christian that you would love to see become a Christian, who you'd love to witness to more effectively and, 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 and move them forward? Just think about them right now and, and pray for them. Just take a second to do that. If you haven't got anybody, pray that God will open up opportunities and give you somebody. Father, you hear about all of those people that we're talking to you about right now. And God, I pray you'd give each person divine strategy, that you would speak to them as they, as they pray for their friends. God, I pray that you would give them the next step on the journey, what to do next. It might be invite them, inviting them around for dinner or going out for a coffee. It might be further down the line of, of choosing to uh, tell, tell them something significant about, about Christ. It might be lending them a DVD or something, whatever it is, whatever you want. Make us creative, God, in the way that we reach out to our friends and, and give us insight for, for the unique person that we are wanting to see become a Christian. Father, we do this because we really want to see lives change. We know for ourselves how good it is to know you and we want our friends to get to know you too. And so, so, God, we don't want to be clinical and calculating. We want to be full of love and compassion. But we just need help sometimes because we don't know what to do. So give us the wisdom and help us to reach out. And God, let your kingdom, the impact of your kingdom, increase here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.